Hello and welcome back to IoT Innovation. My name is Chris Hare. Today we're going to talk about in-building positioning. We've been spoilt by GPS and location services for quite a while now. The problem is when we go inside and out of line of sight. This episode of IoT Innovation is sponsored by Anritsu. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. Welcome back to IoT Innovation. I'm Chris Hare, and I'm joined today by Michael Viot, the marketing manager of DecaWave in Dublin, Ireland. So, welcome, Michael, and thank you for joining me. Um, Please explain a little bit about your company's involvement in in-building positioning and GPS. It's an interesting aspect that we've not yet covered in this series. Hey, good morning, Chris, and thank you for the opportunity. So, yes, uh, I'm the marketing manager at DecaWave, as you mentioned, and DecaWave is involved in the in the positioning uh, uh, business. So we're not exactly like GPS. GPS, everybody knows GPS. Uh, that's lovely to get uh, your position when you're driving outdoors. Uh, but the thing is, people are now nowadays they are expecting the same level of services they are getting from their GPS when they move in buildings, whether it's for private use or for professional use, uh, like tracking parcels in buildings or finding your favorite store when you go in a mall. The problem is that, uh, as you may know, GPS only works outdoors because uh, you need to have a direct view of the sky to be able to uh, collect the GPS signals and uh, calculate your position. As soon as you get indoors, the GPS is not working anymore. And uh, so what happened, uh, what the industry has been doing to try to, uh, to find a solution is, okay, they, they try to use the existing RF technologies that are already available to us indoors. So that means it's mainly Wi-Fi and Bluetooth at the moment. So that's exactly what you get, for example, on your mobile phone when you're walking down a mall. Um, the only problem, to be honest, is uh, uh, technologies have never been designed to achieve location. They have been designed to achieve data communication. And even if they can provide some sort of location, uh, at the end, they're giving you an accuracy only of several meters. So if I'm back to the example of walking down a mall, that's sufficient if you're looking for Starbucks or McDonald's or any kind of shop, you will be able to spot it. But what if, if you're looking to uh, a specific pair of shoes in a shop or if I'm back to the uh, industrial business, if you want to try the position of spare parts in an automotive factory, for example. Here, those technologies, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, cannot deliver the accuracy that is needed to track items and to guide you to items with the sufficient level of accuracy. And that's where the uh, DecaWave comes in. Uh, the founder of the company, Michael McLaughlin, is a veteran from the IEEE, and he has been involved in, uh, in uh, UWB standards for the past 15, 20 years. And uh, a bit more than 10 years ago, he started to be involved in the 802.15.4a standard. That is a, a new physical layer targeted specifically at providing very accurate location and data communication at the same time. And that's exactly the standard that we've uh, managed to implement in the DecaWave chip. And the result is that with our technology, you get an accuracy of 10 centimeters with a very reliability. So you move from several meters of accuracy to a few centimeters. So here it's opening a completely uh, um, uh, 
many, many new uh, opportunities for the industrial consumer and automotive markets, which are looking for solutions for accurate positioning. So, so that's interesting. I mean, the, the location of uh, a mall, the location of a store, uh, I get that. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of noise about iBeacons and the non-Apple version of iBeacons uh, that use um, uh, short-range Bluetooth and low-power, uh, low-energy Bluetooth to try and supplement Wi-Fi and, and uh, external location. How do these how do these nodes get populated, and how does this become? Uh, you mentioned the IEEE and the standardization. How does the standards and the commercial um, uh, juxtaposition of, of um, power really start to become a standard that people will use and that, that we can st st really unite around? How does this become relevant to everybody so that we don't end up with lots and lots and lots of different standards? So, uh, so again, so the, the those Wi-Fi or Bluetooth standards at the start, they have never been, they have never been defined with the intent to uh, implement location technology, the location functions. They have been designed for uh, data communication. And the way it works with Wi-Fi and Bluetooth uh, is uh, most of the time is you're just measuring how strong the signal you're receiving is. That's exactly the, the way uh, an iBeacon is working. It's broadcasting an RF signal and based on if you, if your phone can uh, hear the signal loud, that means you're close. If you hear it uh, pretty low, that means you're far. But uh, what if you put a pillar between, or if you put a shelf in a, in a, in a store? It's not working anymore because it's based on what we call the signal strengths. Um, so that, that's, that's the main limitation. Whereas with uh, the deco of technology, what we have implemented, some Wi-Fi signals start to implement that as well. It's called time of flight of the signal. So you're no longer relying on the strengths of the signal, but how long it takes to the signal to go from point A to point B. And then I just mentioned that Wi-Fi starts to implement it. Some uh, companies showed uh, new chips for, for this purpose at Mobile World Congress last year. But uh, without going too much into the technical details, uh, those signals are what we call narrowband signals. And those signals are very sensitive to what is called multipass and interference. And unfortunately, that's exactly the real world environment, especially when you're indoors. There's, your RS signals are bouncing the walls, and so you, you suffer from what is called multipass fading. And when you have a narrowband signal, whatever you try to, achieve, to do, sorry, you will never be able to achieve accuracy. And that's the difference with an ultra-wideband signal like the DecoWave signal because we're generating two nanosecond-wide pulses. So it's, it's not impossible because nothing is impossible, but um, it's almost impossible that you will get a, a multipass that will uh, be destructive to your main signal. So that's where the UW, UWB signal is very robust to uh, indoor environments and can deliver the high accuracy. Okay, so, so let's pick up on that. I mean, one of the reasons why I started this series um, is that I see IoT as a very complicated umbrella that's really tough enough for people like us that have been in this industry for many, many years. And so the challenge I'm seeing and we're seeing and we've tried to explore through these interviews is, is that if you're a young company or, or even if you're a very big, mature company, that is not involved in wireless, then IoT is, is completely, uh, uh, almost impossible to navigate. And one of the challenges I'm seeing for location is exactly as you say, that 
that everybody that is using a smartphone has completely taken for granted now a high accuracy of not only the position, but the background data that surrounds that position. So the contextualized data related to your map. And people are making obviously strong comparisons or weak comparisons between, for example, Google Maps or, or Apple Maps. But the reality is we're at a we're at the kind of level of detail that that the military didn't have 25, 30 years ago because of all this contextualized data. How do you see this evolving indoors? Um, not just with your technology, but generally, because to me, one layer is the position, and the other, the next layer is once you have the position. Who's supplying and, and generating this data that surrounds that position information? Um, so, um, so from what we so start, so we're mainly involved at Deco. We started with the industrial space, and we're now moving into the consumer, including the, the retail. But we're a semiconductor company, so we're more like at at the bottom of the supply chain. So we have some connection, of course, with uh, with the high level of the supply chain, but that's not uh, our expertise. But you're completely right. That, that a main challenge here will be uh, is as usual is yes. Who will handle the data? And here, uh, what we see is uh, so it's really per industry. So, like the retail industry has its own system integrators, which are already delivering services like for targeted coupons, etc. So, in fact, the location is not what location is bringing is if you can accurately bring an answer to the where where the user is or where the product is, then you, you're capable of delivering a much more accurate information to the user, but it's not really changing the value chain and the way the data is collected or delivered. It's more a matter of being more efficient. And that's, if we're back to Wi-Fi or iBeacon type of system, that would be the problem. If somebody is entering your shop that is iBeacon uh, enabled, you just know that somebody entered your shop, but you have no clue where he is uh, in the shop. Is he facing the jeans or is he facing the shoes? So you, you, you have no clue if you should send a coupon for jeans or shoes. And so, Again, so that's collecting an accurate uh, location information will will allow that. But again, no major change then in the way the data is processed. It's just a new level of granularity. Okay. So sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. So well, if I if I extend uh, beyond retail, uh, and I would say that uh, we see more and more uh, the IoT. You know, as it as the the IoT as it is today is answering two questions. What's happening because you have sensors or that kind of information when it's happening because the information is timestamped by your microcontrollers, microprocessors. The problem you have at the moment is you have no clue where the event happened. Right. And that's a major issue. I mean, if you look at like, I don't know, let's take um, smoke sensors, alarm sensors in a building. Uh, if you, okay, alarm sensors may be one connected uh, example of connected uh, application, uh, but then if you start to put a connected lighting system, if you start to put a connected eating system, etc., if you start to have hundreds of thousands of connected objects in a building, if you're not capable of collecting the information of where the event is happening accurately, I mean, you can do it if you keep a manual map up to date. That's exactly what is done today. You, you, you take the map of your building and you have people whose job is to just say, okay, we have set up the uh, alarm sensor with the MAC address 1234 in this corner of the building, and that's fine because you only have a few connected objects. But think about what's, uh, what will happen when you will get hundreds of thousands again, or even millions of objects if you look at the scale of the city. 
you cannot expect to keep manual maps. So you will need technologies where the objects will, when you will turn on your, uh, your, uh, your thing, it will just pop up in your network, automatically connect to your network, and its position, accurate position, will be uh, recorded automatically, even if it's a moving object. And that's really a very important uh, um, piece of information that is currently missing to the IoT. And I'm not even talking about the big data and, and the implications for big data itself. It's the same. Well, certainly, you know, we, we, I've had conversations previously about Intel and the secure, security they're beginning to build into their chips in terms of enterprise security, where as your laptop leaves a certain firewall or a certain um, uh, ring fence, um, your, your data is no longer able to be received by that laptop, for example. I mean, I can certainly see um, enterprise and industrial applications that may already be beginning to embrace this. Can you can you give me some examples of maybe not the obvious things, uh, obvious maybe to you and I, but uh, applications and opportunities that you see for this that maybe would not be obvious to most people beginning to design a consumer IoT device? Okay, so in the... Yeah, again, so yeah, the consumer is one example, but at the moment it's the, the Internet of Thing. You know, there, there, there's been a lot of hype around the Internet of Thing, and people had very high expectations, and some people started to be a bit disappointed because there's no real mm, strong traction in the consumer. Uh, I mean, there is a traction, but it's not as big as expected. But if you have a look at what's going on in the industrial space, it's a completely different story. I mean, the IoT is already happening in the industrial space. That's really the first place where it's happening. Uh, the factory 4.0, so that's a bit Europe-centric. Factory 4.0 is uh, the definition of the future factories in Europe with all, all the uh, equipment, spare parts, everything uh, connected and exchanging data. The same happening in China with the 2025 uh, initiative. I'm sure there's an equivalent in the U.S. In the industrial space, it's, it's really big. Uh, then back to your question in the consumer. So the one that you mentioned uh, for uh, enterprise is also uh, that's a kind of application our customers are exactly developing at the moment. We call it the secure bubble. So if you if you forget your uh, your laptop in a cab or at the hotel and your laptop is uh, is being let's say more than three, four, five. You can predefine this value uh, upfront. You define what's the size of your of your bubble, and so if your laptop is going outside of this bubble, you can get an alarm on your phone or on your smartwatch, or that you know it's creating a, a secure bubble. That's one. Um, then where we have a lot of traction with uh, indoor location services, it's around the connected home, a bit like for the connected buildings, uh, because. Uh, there was also a lot of expectations regarding the home automation, the house. You remember, I think, which year was that? This uh, Microsoft vision of the house. I think that's almost 20 years ago. Yeah. And, right. never, and, every, and every year at Mobile World Congress, right from the days when it used to be in Cannes, we've had automated houses that everyone has been trying to show things in. And, and I mean, the ability to connect all these devices has been there for a long time. That's kind of why I asked, started asking the question about standardization. Uh, you know, I really struggle to see with so many of these big companies uh, fighting to lead the charge. That does not drive standardization. And, and I think that's kind of why I'm interested in the inbuilding positioning aspects, because to me, a, a lot of, as you say, a lot of the secondary data, as long a lot of the support data is already there because those that, that, that context and that content is already available. The piece that's missing 
is the high degree of accuracy in a building that we've become spoiled by outside. Yeah. Um, and and, and yeah. that's, that's why I'm kind of wondering if you're seeing any really completely weird and wacky use cases in industry that may read across to consumer. Yeah, definitely. So uh, around the automation, if you look at what companies like uh, SmartThings are doing today, very nice company. I really like their products, and you can start to get some pretty cool home automation. Uh, but uh, if you, I mean, it's on their website, and uh, I mean, there's no other technology as of today. They're using mainly motion sensors to detect mm -hmm. your presence. And the problem with motion sensors is you need at least one per room. And if you take that, I, I don't remember the exact uh, statistics, but if I'm correct, in the US, you have an average of eight to 10 rooms in your house. So that means you would need to set up something like at least 10 motion sensors to be able to automate your room, your, your house at the room level. So that's not very convenient. That's, that's one thing. And, um, and, uh, and the second thing is we're back to where the information is coming from. I mean, if you're moving those motion sensors around, if you're moving your smart, plug, your smart plugs around or your smart light bulbs, you will need to update your system, your application on your phone to let the phone know, oh, by the way, I moved the smart bulb that was in the kitchen, I moved it to the living room uh, because the one in the living room was broken or something like that. And so it's not, again, it's not very convenient for the user because they still have to do a lot of manual setup and a lot of interaction. So in fact, what they're doing is they have moved the user interface from a physical user interface, being the light switch, for example, to your phone, where you get a, a, um, a digital uh, light switch on your phone so you can turn on and off. But I'm back to the location. That means if you have 100 connected objects in your house, you will need to go through the user interface in your application on your phone, scrolling, finding the proper, uh, the proper uh, light, because your phone has no clue where you are and you have no clue where the light is. Right. So it turns to the question, what we, uh, without disclosing too much, if you, can, um, if you can accurately locate the person and if you can accurately, look, I mean, within the house, if you can also accurately locate where the things are uh, in the house, um, I mean, we're back to the context awareness. That means the house knows exactly where you are. So the, the, without the need for motion sensors, uh, our technology, I did not enter in too much into the details, but let's say you could set up only like, like a beacon that you would drop in your house. It could be part of your appliances or it could be, I don't know, like a small set-top box or whatever that would be included in. And then you would just walk around again uh, with, I don't know, a small wristband or integrated in your smartwatch. And so the house would know exactly where you are and could completely react based on your position, taking care of the lights, of the smart locks, of the eating system, of, I don't know, if you're watching the TV for breakfast in, uh, or listening to the radio at breakfast in, uh, in your kitchen, then you move back to the bathroom uh, to brush your teeth, the radio can just follow you because the house knows exactly who you are and where you're going. That's a kind of futuristic scenarios that are now possible uh, with our technology. And I'm not even talking about the home robots or the robotic loan mowers, all those that would benefit from uh, uh, location awareness. That's, that's a crazy scenario we're uh, supporting our customers with at the moment. So that's, that's pretty exciting to be uh, involved in those. Yeah, I mean, you know, just to, just to finish up, I mean, speaking personally about IoT, one of the positions I've, I've come to realize is that, um, as with any user experience, IoT should be about a minimal invasiveness into your life. So if a device is really going to become useful and ma maintain its useful position in your life, it has to be almost invisible. 
And that's one of the problems I have with a lot of the IoT consumer devices I see out there at the moment is their presence is something you have to learn and to understand. So the education process is too long. Um, and it's just not useful enough. I mean, uh, you know, we've we've talked on previous programs about things like, you know, Amazon Echo and uh, the Hue lighting system that Philips have launched. I had an example last night where I asked uh, the Echo to switch off the lights in my family room and it only switched one of the two lights off. And that's, it, I mean, it's it's still really cool that it does it, but it's annoying that it didn't do what I asked it to do because it should know better. And I think that's the, the context piece that we're still working on is how do we get it to the point where it does what you think it should do automatically. Uh, and I think, again, in building, I think that uh, position is definitely a big, big component of why, why that's not working right yet. So, so um, personally speaking and professionally, I'm really looking forward to seeing more rollout of your capabilities and in building position. Uh, being much better. What, what's um, what's your prediction of the time frame of this? How long do you think it's going to take for this to start to get much more ubiquitous? Uh, so we're already engaged with some major companies which are pioneering in this uh, in this field, and so I would say we're at the stage of the pioneers at the moment that should uh, that should announce uh, products based on our technology uh, early next year. Okay. Uh, so we're the pioneers. Uh, then uh, don't want to be arrogant, but when uh, when you see what they can do, I think it will be very attractive to the rest of the industry. So, uh, but yes, to to become really uh, mainstream, I think it will nothing before 2017. But next year should be really the beginning of uh, uh, okay. contact-aware um, applications. That's great. Well, let's keep in touch outside of this. and um, I'll be at both CES and Mobile World Congress, so maybe we can set up to meet, and I'd love to maybe do a follow-up interview um, looking at, at some of these products that, as they start becoming announced. Yeah, definitely I'll be at CES as well, so uh, happy to meet you there. Great. All right. Well, thank you very much, and that concludes today's interview for IoT Innovation. Uh, today, my uh, guest has been Michael Viet, the Marketing Manager at DecaWave and we've been talking about in-building positioning. Thank you very much, and see you next week. IoT Innovation is a production of RCR-TV. To reach Chris Hare or suggest a show topic for IoT Innovation, you can reach Chris at cbh at ntete.com. To find out more about IoT Innovation and all things wireless, visit rcrwireless.com.